Hey guys, my name is Brad. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life Church, and I want to welcome you to our online teachings. One of our core convictions as a church is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. Now, I know that for some of us, coming into a church building might be intimidating, it might be scary, and I get that. But I want you to know that there is always a place for you here at New Life and that you were made for real in-person community. We meet on Sundays in downtown Wayland. You can check out our website for more information on service times. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through his word. Love you guys. Well, good morning. Happy Easter. Man, it is so good to have you here worshiping with us, whether you're in person or joining us online. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, maybe you're new or you're visiting. Uh, my name is Brad, and I just adore serving as the lead pastor here at New Life Church. And if you're new, uh, as far as I'm concerned, you're family already. So we're just really, really glad that you're here uh, this morning. I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. What are the moments in your life that changed everything? What are the moments in your life that from that point on, you knew everything would be different? I would guess for most of us near the top of the list would be being born ourselves. If you're here, you're breathing. That's probably a pretty significant event in your life. Maybe for you, it was the moment that you walked across the stage and received that diploma you thought you would never be able to get. Getting that diploma for you changed everything. Maybe for you, it was the moment you saw your spouse walking down the aisle or you were walking down the aisle on your wedding day. And you knew from that moment on, seeing them, making eye contact with them, that from that moment, things would never be the same in your life, for better or worse in some cases, literally. <laughs> Maybe for you, it was the moment you put the bottle down for the last time, or the moment you walked out of jail a free man or a free woman. Every single one of us have moments in our lives that change everything for us. When I think of my own life and some of the moments that have changed everything for me, at near the very top of the list is this picture right here that I took the moment my daughter Emery was born. That first breath of air, that raspy cry, I'll never forget the first time I heard that. I knew from that moment on everything would be different in my life. And the truth is we all have moments in our lives that change everything. Some good, but some are really painful. Some of the moments in our lives that change everything are really, really hard. Maybe for you it was the moment you signed the divorce papers. And you knew from that moment on things would never be the same in your life. Maybe for you it was, it was the moment you got caught Maybe for you, it was the moment the, the bleeding started and you knew you were miscarrying and you knew you would never be the same after that moment. For better or worse, we all have moments in our lives that change everything. And some of you are sitting there probably thinking, ah, oh, here goes another predictable Easter sermon where I say the resurrection is a moment that changes everything but for some of us, the resurrection hasn't changed all that much about our lives. 
For some of us, the resurrection of Jesus Christ just doesn't change that much. Easter is great, but we walk out of those doors and marriage is still really, really hard. Putting on a nice outfit for Easter and a happy face is is awesome, but the porn is still really reliable in our lives. The bottle is still really consistent for us. And I would say if, if you're here and, and maybe the resurrection hasn't changed all that much about your life, you're in good company, to be completely honest. Because the very people who followed Jesus the closest, the resurrection didn't change all that much for them at first. For many of them, they were still very much stuck in their grief the moment they encountered Jesus. For others of them, they were very much still caught up in their own doubts and their own insecurities as they encountered Jesus resurrected for the first time. For, for some of them, their shame was still very crippling. Their grief was still very painful and paralyzing. And I want to ask you the question as we begin today, could it be that the moment in your life that changes everything hasn't yet happened for you? Could it be that this morning, today, God actually wants to cause the resurrection to change everything for you? And the question I want to answer for you today is, how does he do that? How does he do that? And so we're going to look at a character this morning, like we saw in the video just a moment ago, named Mary Magdalene. She is, in my opinion, one of the most intriguing people that followed Jesus in his entire ministry. I love Mary Magdalene. But her story with Jesus and encountering Jesus, I think, is one that a lot of us are going to resonate with. And so if you have your Bible with you, open with me to John chapter 20, verse 11. John chapter 20, verse 11. And if you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen. You can pull out your digital Bible if you want and look it up on your phone. Uh, But we're going to be in John chapter 20, verse 11. And Mary has just encountered the empty tomb, and this is what happens. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. What is running through Mary's mind in this moment of extreme grief? If you're a mourning woman in this moment, everything about your appearance, from the way you were dressed to the way you were carrying yourself to what you were carrying in your hands would have spelled out grief, from head to toe, grief. And you have these two men at the tomb asking a grieving woman perhaps one of the most offensive questions you could ask somebody who's grieving, why are you weeping? What is going on? Like if I'm Mary in this moment, I'm kind of annoyed because I'm grieving. Why would you ask such an insensitive, hurtful, rude question to me in this moment? As I'm encountering the empty tomb, I'm thinking to myself moment after moment and encounter after encounter that I would have had with Jesus. You see, if I'm Mary and when I first encountered Jesus, I am being oppressed and tortured by seven demons. Literally, there are demons inside of me, possessing me, afflicting me, causing me oppression. And what does Jesus do? 
he commands them out of her. One of her very first encounters with Jesus, he commands the demons that are afflicting Mary out of her. If I'm Mary, I'm imagining the awkward moment where Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, invites me to follow him. By the way, Jewish rabbis did not invite women into discipleship. Jesus was a different kind of rabbi. He invited Mary to be one of his closest disciples, to follow him. Am I replaying that moment in my mind of that awkward exchange of first being invited to follow Jesus? Maybe if I'm Mary, I'm thinking about the first time that I preached the gospel to someone. The the gospels describe Mary as a proclaimer of the kingdom of God. And maybe I'm thinking about the first time somebody made a decision to follow Jesus as a result of the gospel that I was proclaiming. If I'm Mary, maybe I'm thinking of that moment. Or perhaps I'm thinking of the moment where I look up at the cross and I see my rabbi standing there. And all the men had run away and hid and were afraid. It was the women that stayed at the cross, by the way. I think that's an important detail. (laughs) It was the women, it was Mary at the foot of the cross, watching Jesus breathe his last, struggle for air as he gives up his life. Would I be thinking of that moment? You see, here is Mary at the opening of the empty tomb, looking in. And as I think about moments that have the power to change everything in our lives, I think they all have one thing in common with each other. There's a reason some moments are are forgettable and others change us forever. And I think the key to a moment that changes everything is that they are always tied to bigger movements in our lives. Moments that change everything are always, always, always tied to a bigger movement in our lives. The birth of a child is a moment, but stepping into parenting is a movement in our lives. Signing the divorce papers, man, that's just a moment, but, but rebuilding a life afterwards, that's a movement. That's why that moment matters so much. Walking out of jail and breathing air outside for the first time is a moment, oh, but freedom is a movement. And the empty tomb of Jesus, right here, as Mary looks in, in her grief, in her her loss, that's a moment. But, oh, friends, resurrection is a movement. Resurrection is a movement. And what Mary did not realize looking into the empty tomb in that moment is that the world had died the night before. That she was standing in a new creation, that the inauguration of the kingdom of God had happened because of the resurrection, that death had died, and that new life was here, that the garden had returned, that same union with God that was experienced in the Garden of Eden was once again available to you and to me and to her. But here's the problem. All Mary saw was the empty tomb, and she was stuck in her grief. And I got to tell you, I believe there are people here today, watching online, here in person, that you are just staring into the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus Christ has not yet changed things for you because you are so stuck on the grief of the empty tomb and not on the resurrected Jesus. Mary is stuck staring into this empty tomb, but the resurrection hasn't become a movement yet for her. And I think this is where a lot of us are stuck right now. Easter's a great moment, It's nice to come in and be inspired and and maybe shed a tear or two at some point. 
But resurrection hasn't become a movement yet in our lives that changes everything else. And so I want to continue reading here in verse 14 as Mary first encounters Jesus. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, another insensitive question to a grieving woman, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. You know, there's know there's people here sitting in this room whose most defining moments in your life have led to movements of shame, have led to movements of regret because you have not yet encountered the true Jesus, the Jesus who heals and changes everything for us. You remember the day that you were sitting at your kitchen table and you got the phone call from the state that your kids were being removed and placed in a foster home and you have taken on the identity of a bad parent. You remember being on the playground as a kid. You remember exactly the swing that you would sit in every single day at recess and you can still picture the kids coming and calling you ugly and worthless and stupid that you'll never amount to anything and you still wear that today. You remember the day you went into work and you were called into your boss's office and dismissed after 25 years with the same company, only to feel used and worthless. The moment Mary encounters resurrected Jesus doesn't actually change anything for her because she doesn't recognize him. She doesn't recognize him. And there are a lot of you sitting here today, watching online today, who have encountered Jesus plenty of times in a church service. Maybe you've encountered Jesus plenty of times through a family member or a friend. Maybe, maybe this book has been forced down your throat to the point of choking, and that's how you've encountered Jesus. Are your moments of greatest grief and shame and failure and pain more powerful in your life than the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I want you to think about that for a minute. Are, are your moments of greatest failure and shame and grief more powerful in your life than the resurrection of Jesus Christ? You've had some moments with Jesus, some good, some bad, some forgettable, but those moments have never become a movement in your life that changes everything. And if Mary can have a moment face-to-face -face with the resurrected Jesus and still not recognize him, and I think the same is true for us. Simply encountering Jesus from a distance as a moral teacher or a guy to be admired, that will never change things. That will never shift things in our lives. Is Jesus' resurrection just a moment in your life to be celebrated once a year? Or is it a movement to be practiced every single day of your life? Is the resurrection of Jesus just a moment in your life or is it a movement that changes everything else? Because if it's just a moment, it's not going to do anything to ultimately heal you.
If it's only just a moment that you can come and maybe twice a year experience at an Easter service or a Christmas service, but doesn't actually radiate out anything more from there, it's probably not going to do much to change anything in your life. But I want you to see what happens between Mary and Jesus, because this is so potent, so powerful, the moment that this goes from just being a moment and an idea for a Mary, but to an actual movement that changes everything for her. It's in verse 16 here. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Did you catch it? The moment that changes everything for Mary? It's the moment Jesus calls her by name. That's what changes things. It's the moment he makes the resurrection personal for Mary. You see, Mary responds once she sees Jesus as just like, it's my rabbi, it's my friend, he's back from the dead. He, she responds like any of us who are grieving would if we got one more moment with a person we loved. She wants to hug him and she wants to hold him. And I think the reason Jesus says, don't cling to me in this moment, Mary, is because you really only have 40 more days with me in the flesh on earth. I am doing so much, something so much bigger for you. Mary, what you don't realize is I'm not just your rabbi come back to life. I am your savior. And a new creation is here. And it can only happen when the resurrection becomes personal in your life. That's where the new creation happens. That's when the moment of Jesus' resurrection becomes a movement that changes everything for you. You know, the Bible never explicitly says you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Because it doesn't have to. It just tells story after story after story of people who had personal encounters with Jesus and it changed everything for them. That's what happens with Mary. And this is what I want you to hear, that the moment of Jesus' resurrection becomes a movement in your life when and only when it becomes personal for you. That's it. It only becomes a movement that can change everything in your life when it becomes personal. When you hear Jesus call you by name. When you hear Jesus call you out. What we know about Mary is that she actually becomes an apostle to the apostles, a powerful preacher of the gospel. But it's only because Jesus made it personal for her. He called her by name. That picture of, of my daughter that I shared probably doesn't mean all that much to you. It means everything to me because it's personal. And the same thing is true with Jesus. That the resurrection is never going to mean that much to you until it becomes utterly personal. Until it has the ability to speak into the, some of the most painful, shame-filled, grief-filled parts of your life, that's when the resurrection begins to shift and rattle and shake things for you, when it becomes personal. Have you heard Jesus call you by name yet? Notice I didn't ask, has Jesus called you by name? I'm asking, have you heard him calling you by name? Or in your mind, is? Jesus just call you by all the names the world has given you. 
in your mind, does Jesus just call you worthless or failure or impressive or whore or whatever it might be? Are those just the names that you think Jesus calls you by? Some of you might be here thinking to yourself, man, that's, that's great, preacher man, but, but you don't know what kind of junk I bring into this place. You don't know what kind of wreckage I bring into this place, what kind of damage I bring into this place. So I want to tell you this. I want you to imagine for a moment that you have had a really hard season of life. This may not be that much of a stretch for some of us. And uh, you can't catch a break. Work is really hard. Home life with the kids, marriage is incredibly hard. And you, for months, have just felt the pressure mounting and mounting and mounting, building and building and building. Until one day it all comes to a head when you walk into work and you are dismissed. You're given the pink slip, you're fired. And so instead of going home where you know there's just chaos waiting for you, you decide to go to the bar instead. And one shot becomes two shots, becomes 10 shots, followed by beer after beer after beer. And as you slowly begin to let go, you strike up a conversation with someone who is not your spouse, who's there at the bar, and you connect. And there's a level of of numbness there in your conversation with them. It feels freeing to be able to not have a worry for just a few moments of your life. But as you're talking to this person who is not your spouse, you start to feel the vibration of the phone in your pocket. One call, two calls, the night is getting later. You know your spouse is wondering, where are you? But you don't want to go home. You want to stay right here. And after all of those drinks and all of that conversation, instead of going home, you go home with this person. And you do things with them that you swore you'd never do with somebody who wasn't your spouse. And in the morning, you wake up and you do the walk of shame home, head held low. And before you reach the door, you realize you forgot your keys. And so you knock on the door and you hear rustling inside. And slowly you hear footsteps come to the front door and you hear the front door creak open. And it's Jesus standing there at the front door. What does he do in that moment? What does Jesus do in that moment? The way you answer that question tells you everything you believe about God. I don't care what you've said you believe about God your entire life. The way you answer that question in that moment tells you everything you believe about God. And I can tell you what Jesus would do in that moment. He would look you in the eye and he would call you by name like he did with Mary. Because the resurrection is personal. And he would... He would invite you into the house and put on a pot of coffee and make you breakfast and say, let's talk about it. Because that's what Jesus did with Peter after the resurrection on his morning of greatest shame. And Jesus would look you in the eye 
with all of your doubt and all of your hopelessness. And he would extend his hands for you to touch them because that's what he did with Thomas after the resurrection. And if, he turn, if you turn to leave and, and walk away and run away from him, he would come after you. Because that's what he did with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Because Jesus wants the resurrection to be personal to you. These are all things he did for people after the resurrection. We don't have to wonder what he would do. We know what he did. You see, friends, with every step, you thought you were walking away. And Jesus was pursuing you by name every single step of the way. And salvation is the audacity to answer God when he calls you by name. Salvation is the audacity to respond to a God who calls you by name. And if you're anything like me in that moment, the only response that I would have would be to lay it all bare. They say, Jesus, this is who I am. This is what I've done. This is what I've become. I repent. I lay it out. I confess it. All of it is on the table, Jesus. Guys, that's all salvation is. It's a response to the love of God that has always been pursuing you. I shared this at another church I was preaching at a few weeks ago. When you truly understand the cross and the resurrection in your life, those parts of your story that you might want to sweep under the rug or set aside or hide from the world to see, because of the resurrection, those shameful, grief-filled parts of your story actually become the parts of your story that you cannot share, that you cannot not share when you talk about Jesus. Because those moments become the moments of opportunity for his glory to show through your story. As God's not an editor, God's a redeemer. And I believe God wants to redeem some stories this morning. I believe that God is calling some people by name this morning. The question I want to leave you with, to think about, to wrestle through, to ponder, is has the resurrection become a movement in your life? Or is it just a nice moment on an Easter morning? Has the resurrection become a movement that changes everything in your life? Has it become personal? You know, as I was praying about this morning, I really want to give us as a community, us as individuals, an opportunity to respond this morning. Because here's what I know. God is calling you by name. The question is whether or not you will respond. Maybe you're here and you have never received the gift of salvation. Maybe you've never responded to Jesus calling you by name. If that's you, we're going we're gonna to enter into a time of, and space of just worshiping and singing and I've asked uh, Laura over here by the cross and Tim over here by the cross to just be available if, if you need prayer. 
If you want to receive salvation, if you want to respond to this free gift, this resurrection life that Jesus offers us, they are available. No reason. You can change after you're done. Get wet. Who cares? It's a warm day outside. Take the step today. I'll be right up here, and I would love the chance to baptize you this morning. If you feel God nudging you and calling you by name, do not wait. Do it today. And so let me pray for us. And then we're going to respond in worship this morning. Jesus says, we sang a few minutes ago. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so Jesus, this morning, we claim that you have called us by name. That when the resurrection becomes personal for us, it changes everything else. So God, I pray for uh, kids who are here this morning, teenagers, adults, people who are married, divorced, married again, widowed. God, I pray for people who are grieving and and filled with shame, who are maybe walking through what's been a really hard season of life. God, may those people hear your call on them by name. And may we be obedient to respond. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said, amen. If you would, go ahead and, and stand and join us in worship. And as we are singing, as we are worshiping, again, Tim, Tim and Laura are available on the sides here. They would love to pray with you. And as we worship, as we sing, if you're feeling the nudge to come get baptized, my daughter's real excited here. <laughs> hey, if a five-year-old can do it, there's no reason an adult can't do it, okay? Um, if you're feeling that nudge from God this morning, do it today. Okay? Let's worship.